Welcome to Willing to Learn Podcast, where we believe that when we learn more, we can do more. I'm your host, Ashley Dominguez. Now, today we have a very, very special guest. This person is fierce. They are equity-minded. They are a leader in the mixed-race community. I give you Charmaine Fury, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine. On her website, the self-declared Busiest, mixed-race, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, mask-making, Gulf Coast Cosmos comic book co-owner, Asian American Podcasters Association, Golden Crane Award-winning podcaster. Woo, yes. Charmaine has done over 127 episodes on her Militantly Mixed podcast, a podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. She and her guests wrestle with mixed race related topics such as identity, phenotype, mental health, discrimination, relationships, and so much more. Now, because today's episode focuses on the experiences of multiracial people, I think I should let it be known that, well... I am one. So I identify as biracial. My father is Puerto Rican and my mother is white. So that makes me being mixed race, you know, my whole life. And being mixed race is interesting because growing up, I don't think I had that consciousness and awareness of what that identity meant. But in my recent years of identity formation, especially now being in the PhD program, I've learned how my perspective and specifically the mixed race perspective impacts who I am, my experiences, the way I move through the world, the way people see me, and so much more. Especially in my scholarship and my research, I've learned that perspective is the lens to which I see the world. It's also important to note that multiracial people are the fastest growing population in the United States. And estimates predict that by year 2040, whites will become the minority population due to the rise of interracial marriages and mixed race children. So how can we prepare for this future America? Well, today, Charmaine will be unpacking how. Let's get to some reminders before we jump into today's interview. So if you haven't done this already, please go and like, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Hey, I value your feedback. No, like really, if you're listening, if anyone is listening out there, tell me what you want to hear on this podcast. Tell me about potential guests or ideas for topics. Don't hesitate to reach out, get connected. And if you haven't done so already, go follow at Willing to Learn Podcast on Instagram. Also, each week I give listeners a call to action. We learn best by doing people. So I want us to be able to reflect on our knowledge and see how we can put it into action in our families, in our communities, and beyond. So be sure to keep listening until the end of today's episode to hear what the call to action is this week. And now to our guest instructor, Charmaine Fury, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine. Well, hi. Thank you. I am really (laughs) so excited that you agreed to be on. Oh, I appreciate the invite. I, I I love like whatever the thing is that made somebody make their show. Right. That kind of stuff. I, I and I like the idea of like, I just want to learn something. Right. Reach out to people so I can learn something. Like I think that's great. I'm excited. I know. Well, even before I started the podcast, 
I found your podcast, Militantly Mixed, a couple months ago because I identify as biracial. I'm mixed race. I'm My father's Puerto Rican and my mother is white. And in recent years, I would say the past four or five years, it's become a conversation that I've needed to be able to learn more about. Yeah. And to know how to express myself and know who I am and who else has these experiences. And I've known this obviously my whole life, (laughs) but it wasn't until at the age of 34 that it's become now like, whoa, what does that really mean? What is the, what are the implications that has had on my life? How's that impacting the way I'm moving through spaces? Mm -hmm. And so I found your podcast. Awesome. I'm glad you did. I, for me, so I lived a super mixed life. My cousins lived with me. We were all mixed. My, both of my parents are biracial. So every, all my aunts, uncles, everybody was mixed. And then, and we lived in military housing. So. Oh my gosh, me too. Everybody was mixed. And then I went out into the civilian world and we're all the mixed people. Like I didn't realize that not everybody was interracial. Right. And, and so I continue to be my little mixed self, but it just got to a point where I was like hungry for what I grew up around. What I was like, I feel like I was really lucky to grow up around so many mixed people. And I wanted to do the show about two years before I actually did it. I had all the handles. I had the domain. I was just sitting on it, but imposter syndrome, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And when I finally started it, it was really just a selfish project for me to get a chance to talk to mixed people. And it turned out to be medicine for me and for whoever ended up coming on with me. And now I'm nearly three years in. I don't know why I've got something on my glasses. It's driving me crazy. I'm nearly three years in. I have 127 episodes, 26 episodes up. My life, I don't know how to function without this now. No, that's awesome. I need to have these conversations. So I'm glad you found the show. I'm glad it resonates. And I'm happy to help and be supportive to your show too, however I can. Yes, thank you. So for the listeners, introduce yourself, who you are, what you do. I am Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine. And I'm afraid that my cat just meowed in the background. (laughs) No worries. Sorry, I thought they took him. Sorry, <laughs> let me try that again. I'm Charmaine, Mixed Girl Maine Fury. I am the host of the Militantly Mixed podcast. I also am a co-host of Blurred Comics and By Furious. And I have a very hungry, angry cat sitting right behind me. I do not know what's going on with her. I, I do podcasting just because it's the way that I get my life. It's how I get my community-based life. I need to talk about comics. I have my comic book thing. I need to talk about Mm -hmm. queerness. I got my queerness thing. And with mixedness being a big part of the center of my whole life, given that both of my parents are biracial and my whole family is mixed and I'm mixed, I just, I needed to have and build a community that I could exist in, you know, as a mixed person. Right. I am really sorry. No, don't worry. I need to move this cat (laughs) because she is not happy. (laughs) I apologize. He was supposed to take her. (laughs) (laughs) I blame. I blame them. (laughs) No, no worries. So will you explain a little bit more about your makeup, biracial makeup? And what was there like an impetus that made you want to explore being mixed race and starting the podcast on mixed race identity? So my dad is half black American, half Caucasian British, or as I usually say, colonizer British because mm-hmm. um and my mom is japanese have japanese and her american white father is like 
a hybrid of Scottish, British, Appalachian people okay. from West Virginia. They've been here since the 1700s. I think the earliest records of that family is like 1708 or 1718 or something like that. So they were here before the U.S. was formed. And um, both of my grandfathers were GIs and they were stationed in Japan and England during the 50s, married their wives and brought them here. So my Mixedness comes from the military okay. to a degree, colonization in that respect. And I grew up being Japanese in my grandmother's house and black everywhere else. Both of my parents, although they are both half white, technically, I did not grow up in whiteness and I didn't grow up mm -hmm. around many white people. Mm -hmm. The only white person I really grew up around was my British grandmother. And because she lived with us for a period of time and so I didn't realize there were so many white people in the world until I left my family. And we're and like, environment. It's like, wow, there's a lot of you out here. Because Where'd y'all all come from? Because <laughs> I grew up in in Long Beach and in Sacramento too, but mm -hmm. in Long Beach is where my personality is formed. And, and so we were, it was a very black and Mexican area that I grew up in. So yeah, I didn't know there were so many white people around, but they're out there. And even though I'm half white, I don't really, I mention it, I don't identify Okay. That way, because I don't okay. have access, I think, really. Right. Yeah. So I like to say that, um, you know, even like my, oh, this side, my logo is like a military style badge because mm -hmm. my grandfather's military and without them, I wouldn't be mixed the way that I am. And then I represent my whole self in it, my, the Japanese rising sun, the black power fifth fist, because I do think of myself as more of a black liberation, black militant type of personality and the peace sign because that works for every of my cultures japanese always do the victory sign you know americans do it too and the british use it to say fuck you so i have my whole my whole thing so <laughs> you mentioned a little bit about maybe not always feeling like seen or accepted in certain spaces was that part of the reason that you wanted to start the podcast in the first place well, my problem was, is that until I always knew I was mixed my parents were different colors. My family was different colors, but I was black. I was black as hell. Like I was a 1990s militant black kid and I did not know that I was not perceived as black outside of my neighborhood mm. or outside of blackness in general. Because even now I can wander through an area of black people that I've never met before and I get the nod and I get the little, hey, little sis and stuff like that. I'm seen in blackness, mm -hmm. even though I look Dominican. So I never felt uncomfortable, except for when I tried to be Asian. <laughs> okay. You know, when I tried to try to be Asian, I would find like for Japanese, it's it really, they don't like mixing. So for them, it's like, you're not Japanese because you're not from Japan. And even my grandmother, who's from Japan, but moved to America, she left us. She's not Japanese anymore either. And I didn't understand that. I didn't know how to grasp nationalism versus ethnic identify, you uh -huh. know. And so I would try to be like super Japanese and just not accepted. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to fit into places like general Asian-ness because I, I actually don't identify as Asian. I identify as Japanese. Asian is a concept that happens here. Mm -hmm. When you're in Asia, you're not Asian. You're wherever you're from. Right. So I was like, okay, well, let me try to be Asian then. And so I moved in spaces like Asian American class affinity groups in college and stuff like that. And there wasn't a place for me there either, partly because it was already a difficult space for Japanese people to be in in general because Japanese assimilate where they go. So mm -hmm. none of us knew the language. 
things like that. Whereas Chinese knew the language, Vietnamese knew the language, Koreans, like all the South Asians know their language, even if they grew up here and in East Asians, except for Japanese as well. So that was a level of removal. And then on top of it, I'm mixed, another level of removal. And on top of it, I'm black, the worst possible thing to be mixed with. Mm-hmm. from a lot of Asian cultures. And so that was another layer. And I just couldn't feel Asian enough. And so I found myself realizing like, okay, if I'm out in the world and there's not black people around, I'm mixed. I have to be mixed. I look at my face, mm-hmm. but if I'm around black people, I get to be black. So mm-hmm. I had to figure out how to change from being a black girl who happens to be mixed into a mixed girl who happens to be black and try to maneuver the world that way. Now that I do the show and I get to have such a wide range of conversations about mixedness on a regular basis, the things that hemmed me up in the beginning that got me to want to talk about this stuff, that got me to want to do this show, I'm releasing now because I'm like, well, my identity is mine. Mm -hmm. I choose it. And since we're the kind of creature that needs outside validation to make us believe in something about ourselves individually, which is very strange. Well, I needed telling, to, yep, telling right now. It's crazy, right? So she's coming for me in my house. Go I got to, I got to have conversations with someone else and be like, Hey, do you approve nope. of my identity of my nope. choice for myself? Great. Nope. Now let's keep going. So, so yeah, that what motivates me to do the show, to have done the show and to continue doing the show is understanding that identity is fluid and that sometimes when I'm not feeling black enough, I'm going to really need some black. I'm going to need black up when I'm not feeling Asian enough. I'm going to need to figure out what is my access point that is comfortable for me to sit in. Mm -hmm. And oddly enough right now, it's legitimately just the Asian American podcasters association. (laughs) I don't have a circle other than that (laughs) Um, or any of the Asian guests that I've had on the show too. And, and in whiteness, I don't need it. I, I didn't grow up around it, so I really don't need it. I have been shot. But you down. just share that part. Like you don't hide it. You I don't you, hide it. Right. Yeah. I have some things from my British culture that are very much like obvious. And I have like my obsession with tea and how I drink my tea and how I will judge others for how they drink their tea incorrectly because you all do. <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff. Like whoever you are, I don't care who you are. Right. Um and, you know, and I can appreciate that because Even if you might lean to, you know, or feel like you want to identify as one race or you want to identify as two or you want to identify as three based on your familiar upbringing, your culture, Mm -hmm. that is a right that you have as a mixed race individual. So now I want to I want us to move on to the first section, which is basically dispelling some of the myths. Yes. And like, let's let's go for the misconceptions. What is the bad information that people have about mixed race people. So that is one of them, right? This idea that you have to choose, Mm -hmm. you can only be one. Tell me your thoughts. The worst affront for me when it comes to people's perception of mixedness, whether you're mixed or not, is best of both worlds. There is not a phrase under mixedness that I hate more than best of both worlds. And I understand that there are mixed people out there who identify this way, and I'm not taking away from their own identity and access point. But for me, the, what bothers me about this is 
what's the best of anything that we're mixed with? Like of any monoracial or monoethnic situation, what would be the best thing? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm black and Japanese. Is the best of both worlds in my case that I might have fast twitch muscles and therefore could be a really good athlete? Well, what if I didn't get that? Okay, then, oh, sure. What's the next thing that's black people are really good for? Is it that, like, you could sit there and do, and you end up going down a really possibly disgusting, racist direction. I'm not a math Asian. Like, that mm-hmm. kind of, like, there's things like that, that that people expect that I've had people come up to me literally asking me, can I run fast? And am I good at math? Because I'm black and Asian. No, I can't do either one of those things. So and now you've and now you've almost tried to make me feel bad because I don't yeah. fit into the box or to the archetype of what you expect me to what be. You're now I have it. failed you. Yes. Right. And that's such a weight for me to carry, because if I have to account for what you're going to think is the best thing of any racial thing, if I have to include my Britishness, what do I think the British are best at? Colonization? I don't want to be the best at that. You know what I'm saying? So there's like so many things that you could end up going down that could be really problematic. And so that's one of the things that I wrote down like right away. No question. Best of all, this idea that like mixed people would be the cutest baby. That's actually a different one on my list, but same kind of thing. Only mixed people make good babies. At a genetic level, do you want ethnic and racial mixing? Yes, you do. Because that does actually, on a genetic level, help strengthen babies. Are we the cutest babies just because we're mixed? Not necessarily. My baby, my baby brother was ugly when he was born. I was hella cute. <laughs> and I tell him every day you know to this saying? day. <laughs> but, but like he grew up cute. And that was great. Um, yeah. You no, know, but, but that's, like, a, that's an important point that from babies, mm-hmm. mixed people are objectified, fetishized mm-hmm. and treated as an exotic yeah. because of being mixed. Right. And so anything that leads into that direction, whether it is the best of both worlds, whether it is exoticizing, I mean, literally the question, where are you from or what are you? Mm -hmm. For me, always starts with you're so exotic looking. Mm -hmm. Where are you from? Mm -hmm. I have I rarely get the question by itself. It always is prefaced by my exoticism or by them exoticizing me. And what's exotic? Literally everything exotic. My grandmother, my Japanese grandmother named my mother Nancy and her other sisters, Dorothy and Joyce, because those names were exotic to my Japanese grandmother. Meanwhile, Nancy, Dorothy and Joyce are over here glad I'm like, God damn it. I got the stupidest name here in America possible. They hated their names. Yeah. But my grandma viewed it as exotic because movie stars had names like that Mm -hmm. when she was growing up. So literally everything is exotic to somebody. There's really no good thing that comes from somebody deciding to exoticize somebody. And so I... Oh, man, there's no like when I try to tell people that story about my Japanese grandmother naming my mom and her sisters the way that she did, it messes people up because they can't imagine how they're so centered in whiteness and stuff like that, that they can't imagine that white could be exotic outside or else. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the well, that's two I hybrided, but they're based around the same thing mm-hmm. of this this idea that there is something extra special about us and yet we're still incapable of owning any part like i can't just be black i can't just be japanese i have Uh to exist in mixedness for whoever is on the outside of me 
And you know what? When I was in Long Beach, you couldn't tell me I wasn't black. You still Mm -hmm. can't tell me I'm not black. You know what I'm saying? But like I needed to be taught that over time and removal from situations that allowed me to step back. And when a person would try to put their versions of my identity on me, I could stop that. So that is a that's a really big one. Yeah, that is. What about the term, the tragic mulatto? Oh, gosh. Uh, But this is... Okay, and for those who aren't sure, a mulatto is an old school term to represent someone who is mixed. And I think originally it was black and white, but mm -hmm. now it's really just any mixed race person. People use that term. But what that does, it makes the mixed person, in a sense, it makes them have this feeling that any identity struggle you face as a mixed race person, irrelevant, we right. don't want to hear about it. Yeah. In fact, oh, you think you have it worse than us or you try worse? Yeah, absolutely. The people of color. And I think that's where a lot of misconceptions is. I'm not trying to position myself Mm-mm. as being oppressed over right. a person of color. But what I'm saying is there are identity struggles that mixed race people face that mm-hmm. other people who are monoracial do not understand. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the myths that I was going to bring to the table was basically something to that degree, which the tragic Lulato falls in on, is that just because we're mixed doesn't mean we have something better than whatever the most oppressed thing that we are mixed with is. Okay, if I walked side by side down the street with a dark skinned black person and I am the way that I am, looking the way I am, will we be treated differently? Absolutely. Am I still going to experience some form of racism? Yes. Is it potentially as violent or as detrimental as the racism that my darker skin counterpart is going to spread? Probably not. But because I'm not going to sit in the shoes of that darker skinned person because I can't live that person's life, whatever bad I get is going to feel bad too. So what Mm -hmm. I can't do, what mixed people don't have the magic to do is to not feel the effects of racism, to not feel the effects of systemic oppression and things like that. We're feeling a different tier, but we're still feeling it. And so to say, oh, it's not that bad for you because, well, I don't know that though. I, I like, I'm not dismissing that's possible, but what I'm saying is my lived experience doesn't tell me that I shouldn't feel any pain. My experience is telling me this sucks for both of us, but it sucks differently for you than it sucks for me. Mm -hmm. And then for the white appearing or the, depending on which word and time period you want to use it, white passing, white presenting, white assuming, white appearing, for that mixed person, their entire identity could be pulled away from them just because this random thing that happened in your genetics where you decided mm-hmm. to come out looking white and I decided to come out looking brown. Right. It, ta- it takes things that we have no power right. over our presentation, our mixedness, whatever, and makes it our responsibility. The tragic mulatto or any of those kind of like sad little mixed person situations, that directly erases whether or not my issues are legitimate at all. And I have no say in that if someone decides that for me. So I do think that is some somebody needs to learn. <laughs> like yes. Somebody needs to learn to stop doing. And that's why I really I hope people also learn. Don't ask like, well, what are you more of? Or like, are you sure you're this? Don't deny someone's race or identity. Don't invalidate it. Yeah. Like I don't think they realize how hurtful 
Right. That, that really is. Especially, I mean, yes. Are there people that try to pose in somebody else's I- racial identity? Absolutely. We have, and I don't right. name her because I, I cannot stand her, but everybody knows okay. who I'm talking about. I do. Um, I do. <laughs> someone like her causes a lot of problems for mixed people, even though she's yeah. not mixed, but because she has adopted a culture and basically performing blackness that isn't authentic to her, that isn't part of her upbringing or anything like that. People like to equate her to us as if somehow we are posing within this. Like if I'm in a room and I'm speaking to a lot of other people who grew up in the hood like I did and my accent changes, that's not performative. That's the accent that I grew up with. The Mm -hmm. accent that I'm speaking with now is a code switch that I had to learn because my aunt forced me to correct in quotation fingers my pronunciation so that I could get a job and all that kind of stuff that she was worried about back then. Right. It was well-meaning, but it was harmful because it erased something about me. So if now I'm speaking in hood speak to somebody and I'm being told I'm posing, you're just now erasing my situation. Mm -hmm. Or if you equate me to that person who performs blackness, you're saying that she and I are the same. Where I am a legitimate mixed black girl with a mixed black, with a black father who grew up in a black space exactly only thing that makes me different from a darker skinned person is the fact that my skin color turned out the way that it did you know so i think that idea of you don't have it as tough or if you look even if you look white oh it's fine you're great you don't have any problems Mm because you get to be white it's wonderful you can Mm -hmm. still be kind of like down When we're over here, but when you go over there, you get to do whatever you want. This puts mixed people in this really weird, powerless situation that where we don't even have ownership over who we get to be or what spaces we're allowed to maneuver. Right. Because it feels like that power has been taken and it's being dictated by other people. And so we're constantly looking to the outs to outsiders saying, who, you know, who am I to you? Yeah. And I've learned that is so dangerous. There's this quote that I like. It's like, you better learn who you are real quick, because if you don't, you're going to believe what anyone tells you you are. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a danger because you could possibly erase yourself so far that by the time, you know, I'm talking to people on the show from all age ranges. There's somebody who could be 68, 72, 75, who are struggling just as hard with their identity as mm-hmm. someone who's 21 or 16 or 40 right now, right? Like I'm not some kind of a mixed expert or guru or anything like that. I'm an, I understand my situation. And mm-hmm. so to have these conversations with other mixed folks, wherever they're at, one thing that I learned the most of is, oh shit, we're all going through this. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what age we are. And so the most important thing is for us to be our mixed ass selves, whatever that means, whatever level, mm-hmm. whatever access point we have. If mm-hmm. you're a white appearing black girl, then you do whatever it is. You let people know or don't like do whatever, like however you need to do it, however you need to be it. That's where like, it's about you that we give too much power to other people to decide for us. And mm-hmm. my knees hurt and my back hurts. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I have, I've earned arthritis <laughs> on this mission and I'm not doing it anymore. Right. So what I try to do at least is empower people to own their own identity. So in that respect, if me being a mixed race podcaster is the reason why someone now feels encouraged to speak on their own behalf, I'll take that. I'll, that's great. 
don't call me and ask me to tell you what it's okay for you to be because I'm going to tell you to be what your mixed ass self. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever that is for you is the right answer. Yeah. It's a spectrum. Uh, It's everybody is different. It's multidimensional. There's not a formula. And every mixed race person is not going to be the same, depending on our differences and the different ways that we were raised and uh, our phenotype and whatnot. Okay. I have another one that I wanted to ask you about. You talked about the best of both worlds. Like there's this idea, I think sometimes that you, if you're mixed, you are more included and that you can cross spaces a little bit easier. Right. But that's a misconception too, because actually we can be excluded from one of our like race identity groups that we or all of them yeah. or all, happen of all of the same day we don't belong uh, anywhere so, like it is it is a weird thing i do count my own situation as somewhat lucky in that i was embraced by at least one of my groups wholeheartedly i have very few situations in my life where i was legitimately told you're not black or you're not black enough i do have some and it did go into my identity spiral and crisis when I was younger, but very few compared to how much I have that on the white side or the Japanese side. But I can be told by my grandmother, my Japanese grandmother, you're not Japanese, but she doesn't have the context to explain to me Japanese nationalism. So when I'm little, I'm confused because all I know is I come from that lady, that lady's Japanese, but I'm not Japanese. Am I not good enough to be Japanese? You know, so that you go down the spiral, right? And that can happen across the board. If I'm not black enough and not Japanese enough, let's see if the white people will have me. Mm -hmm. No, because I'm brown. So it's not going to happen. You know, so like this kind of stuff can be really damaging for people. And if all we're supposed to be is how we look, like what our phenotype is, tell me where someone that looks like me fits. Am I Mm -hmm. black? Am I white? What am I? So now you're telling me I have no place. I understand now it was a hard learned lesson, but I understand now that I actually don't have a race category, but I had to learn that because I thought race and ethnicity were the same thing Mm -hmm. for a long time. Then I understood what words mean and I started to figure out my deal. I understand that I'm mixed ethnicity. I am not mixed race necessarily. Mm -hmm. I have parents that were different races And they have obvious racial categories, but I do not. And so, and that's also another important point that you're hitting is that sometimes multiracial children can feel excluded from their own parents. Yeah. Because their parents could be monoracial or or they can be biracial and different, you know, have different races just like you. If you don't look like the people you come from, you're going to have a one struggle. (laughs) Like that's going to be a pretty big struggle. Where do I belong if I don't look like anybody I come from? then you have to take it outside. I don't look like anybody in my neighborhood and my neighborhood is predominantly fill in the blank. All right. Okay. So I don't belong here too. So like mixed people can really feel excluded. You can Mm -hmm. feel excluded just walking down the street, whether or not someone is actively excluding you because Mm -hmm. the visual is telling you don't belong here. Mm -hmm. Once you actually get people to tell you that, which is more often than you are one of us, that is why I am more comfortable in blackness because I get you are one of us more than I don't. I have only gotten you are one of us in an Asian space one time. 
mm-hmm. my whole life, 43 years. And I know exactly what had happened because it had never happened before. <laughs> and that was at the Asian American Podcasters yeah. Award Ceremony, mm-hmm. where I tell my story about being mixed and not feeling Asian enough to be Asian. So I, it was really hard for me to decide to participate in Asian American Podcasters. And then the chat thing filled in with, you're one of us, you're Asian enough for me, blah, 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 blah. And I didn't know that I could have something like that in an Asian environment Asian, because yeah. I had never had it before. So, yeah, I think children of mixedness, of mixed and families can feel excluded actively and passively all the mm-hmm. time. There's very rare instances in which I would say that we would feel included actively mm-hmm. and passively all the time. No, and I can speak to that, too, because my mother, her family was in Alabama. So, you know, very white farm kind of country folk. And then my father, his my grandparents, they live in Puerto Rico to this day. And even when we would do family trips for holidays, it's like, okay, like this is my family. But like, I don't really like we don't vibe like that. Like, yeah, we're different. Like, okay, I'm half white, but they're white. And I know I'm not that type of white. Yeah. So, okay. So then I like, get on a plane, go to Puerto Rico, spend time with them. Like, they're speaking Spanish. There's this and that going on. I'm like, whoa, like what's going on here? Because I don't really fit in here either. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it leaves you feeling a little confused. You do have to find, and that's something that with Military Mix that I discovered, I had to create my own community to find the place that I belonged. I found that regardless of what we're mixed with, we tend to have a lot more in common with each other as mixed people than we do with necessarily any of our ethnic groups that we actually come from. Yeah. Does that mean across the board? No. Are we a monolith? That's another no. myth. No, we're no. not all the same. Also, mix does not just mean black and white. It means all of the things, which would be another myth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, check, just, check, just, check, 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 check. <laughs> uh, but this this idea of not belonging from the people we come from because they're both different from each other. And then they made us and we're different from them, both of them. We have to find people that get it. And sometimes you can't talk to your siblings. My brother and I can't talk about race. Oh, really? We can't talk about our family race. We can't. It's, I will talk about it till the cows come home. He didn't want to. It gave us a distance between us. So I couldn't go to the only person in the world I knew who was mixed the exact same way as I was. I couldn't go to that person to have these conversations. I had to take it out into the wild. And in doing mm-hmm. that, I found and built a community that allows me to have these conversations. And in doing that, I now understand myself and my identity a lot more because I hear somebody else say something. And if I can go, oh my gosh, me too. Boom. Yeah, it's freeing. It's freeing. Yeah, and yeah. very healing. Okay, so now let's talk about what is true. Like, what do people need to know about mixed race identity? You talk, you talked about this earlier, this idea of racial imposter syndrome. This idea that it's hard to belong, whether it's real or it's imagined in our minds, but we have those feelings of exclusion within our communities and that it make, can make us question who we are and where we belong at, all the time. So can you talk a little bit about RIS or race, racial imposter syndrome? Oh, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, how much time you got? How much time you got? Um, I mean, imagine being monoracial and not fitting the category that people consider like the stereotypical representation of that race, right? Okay. Like, if you're not hood, you're not black. 
Okay. Right? That happens to monoracial black people that are su- yeah. grew up in the suburbs or whatever. If you're not good at math and you're an Asian, what kind of Asian are you? Stuff like that. Right. So we mm-hmm. we all have these stereotypes that that everybody understands. Some of them come from something. Some of them don't. Some of them come from a very little thing, but it get exploded across the whole group. Now try to be multiple of those things <laughs> and not look like any of the things that you come from. Mm hmm. How am I supposed to like I grew up with pictures of Angela Davis on my wall. I grew up being like a hardcore pro black pan African, like down with whitey, all power to the people kind of person. I look like this. How am I going to lead the charge? I can't do that. I can't. I may want to, but I can't, or I may have wanted to when I didn't know enough, but I can't do that. So if I can't be the blackest person in the room, who am I? Because I grew up thinking I was the blackest person in the room. If I also have to say that about the Japanese side, you know, like my behaviors or certain things that I have on the Japanese side, if that doesn't validate my Japanese-ness to an outside Japanese, then who am I? So you're sitting there just like, I literally cannot be enough of anything, which is why I think as a community, this is where the one little things that I will grant monolithic ideas to. We have all at some time felt not enough, mm-hmm. which is so bizarre when you think of it because we're mixed with so many different things. We're literally more than mm-hmm. a monoracial person, but we feel not enough of. We're seeing the half or the quarters. We're not seeing the whole, which is made up of all of this extra stuff. So <laughs> racial imposter syndrome If you don't look enough like one of your groups, that's a level of removal. If you do look like one of your groups, but you don't code enough like that, you're not behaving Mm -hmm. correctly, that's a level of removal. So by the time we're all said and done, I'm triracial. I got three different people I can't belong to. Or I have three different people that they're going to see me as part of them, whether they like it or not. These are my choices. And it's really hard to get to that point where your back straightens up and you were like, you are going to accept me as one of you. That's tough because you're being faced with an entire population of people that won't necessarily view you as enough. So yeah, racial imposter syndrome. I mean, try to get over it. Like try to get over it. I try. Mm -hmm. No, I'm going to feel it sometimes. Right. And actually there's this study that I was reading. It came out of the University of Utah from Jasmine Norman and Jacqueline Jen, and they surveyed 354 multiracial people in two different studies, and they were asking them about the strength and importance of their multiracial identity and how others perceive their racial identity from their appearance. Like, how often do you racially identify differently than strangers expect you to identify? Mm -hmm. And the results showed that the strength of a person's multiracial identity was strongly tied to others' comments about their appearance. Yeah. I absolutely believe that. Now we, so that kind of like goes into the fact of like, if you already are feeling racial imposter syndrome and then you're going into places and that's being reinforced, like, oh, well, you're not black enough or you're not Latina enough or you're not Asian enough. You internalize that. Yeah. And then you start to question, well, well, but I, but I am this, Yeah. but like, but am I not performing it to the way that they think right. that is worthy or and then- Add in something that also happens to mixed race people, because I don't know. It does not matter. Whatever combination of mixed race you are, somehow we all look Dominican or Puerto Rican. 
some of y'all are lucky enough to be Puerto Rican, (laughs) but for those of us who aren't, we also get aggressively accepted into something that we're not. Like I have Mm. had yelling matches with Dominicans in New York for me not being proud of my Dominican. Oh, like they thought you were trying to hide the Dominican. They were coming for you. Like, yeah, but it happens here, too. So on the West Coast, I'm Mexican or Filipino on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. I'm Dominican or Puerto Rican. So growing up here, having crunchy curly hair in the 90s and stuff like that, you know, the Vata style hairdo, Mm -hmm. Mexicans were like, aren't you proud? And I'm like, but I'm not Mexican. And they're like, but you look like us. You should be proud of that. Well, how do I have ethnic pride and cultural pride about a culture I do not come from or belong to? Mm-hmm. And then I go to New York and I get yelled at because they're like Dominican, Dominican. And I'm like, I'm not, though. And they're like, well, you should be proud of it. And I'm like, yo, if I could just be Dominican right now, given the amount of acceptance that I have received, aggressive screaming in my face acceptance, I'll flip that switch. <laughs> but I don't speak Spanish either. So I know. we got to work this out, you know? <laughs> It is this weird thing, like you get imposter syndrome from what you are, and then you got Dominicans yelling at you, like you're you belong to us. (laughs) What am I supposed to do? (laughs) It was like the sweetest, most accepting thing ever, and I would be really surprised if I don't end up retiring in the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. I'm older because I am accepted amongst Dominicans and. It's just because I'm yellow brown with black features that I look so much mm-hmm. like Dominicans. But yeah, imagine it like you have to add that to imposter syndrome conversation too, is that you can be accepted by people that you don't belong to. And they could be really mad at you for not having the same amount of pride as they do. Right. So with that, you have to imagine like there's anxiety, there's stress, you're feeling like an imposter, you're feeling excluded, lacking a sense of belonging. Obviously, mixed identity can also affect mental health. Yes. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I like to openly talk about mental health on my show because I I suffer from a couple different forms of depression. I have chronic persistent depression, which is the chemical level. I'm always going to be depressed. There's nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. Medication, whatever, fine. But no, it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have had some pretty significant bouts of major depression, some that have taken a few months to get through, some that have taken a few years to get through. And identity is a part of that, too. Like that mm-hmm. very much happens. I also have a lot of social anxiety that has bubbled up over the last five or so years that I didn't have before. And I noticed that even as I've grown more confident in my mixed identity, there are random, the smallest, weirdest things that can throw me into a tailspin, Mm -hmm. which could potentially throw me into a a depression spiral. Mm -hmm. And that could be, I had a weird incident. I've talked about this, I think on my show, but maybe someone else's show, but I was wearing a superhero Black Lives Matter t-shirt. So it had Storm and Bishop and Misty and Luke Cage and like all these black super black Panther, all these black superheroes of Black Lives Matter. And then I was wearing an African print mask because I make masks and I have some African prints. Okay, cool. And normally when I walk down the street, black people see me and I'm black and I don't have to worry about it. But during COVID, I have to wear a mask. And so when I wear a mask, my blackness disappears. Okay. That's actually, that's messing with me a little bit because I can't yeah. be my black ass stuff on the streets. if I'm uh, You feel like you're not, it's not visible enough. Yeah, it's not visible anymore. And, and so I'm walking down the street and this girl gives me this look of like, she's not okay with me dressed like that. 
And, and so I go into my little mailbox place. Cause I it was, I was at my business mailbox place and I go to grab my stuff. And as I'm walking back out, she comments like, why are you wearing that? You try to use some kind of ally or something like that. And I'm like, no, I'm, I was like, I'm black. <laughs> like I did, like, that's what I did. I was just like, I'm, I'm black. And she's like, you're black. And so I basically risked COVID by taking I my know. mask off. Yep. And she goes, oh. And then I put my mask back on and it was like, carry on. We didn't need any additional conversation. I, oh my I, I just took my face mask off and she could see my face. And then she accepted my blackness, carry on, put my mask back on. But if she had COVID or anything like that, I now just exposed myself to this virus because I needed to prove that I was your, black. Your blackness. And yeah. that sat with me for Dang. Like, did, were you thinking like, why did I feel like I had yes. to show? Why did like I'm mixed girl Maine? I have militantly mixed. I am confident in my mixed race behavior. Or mixed like, race why did identity. I have to show her and prove her a stranger? Why did I have to do this to this random stranger on the street? And so we're talking about mental health that starts to eat away at you all day. And so you might be doing something else. And then suddenly I would just think of her and I'd be like, why did I need to prove it to her? Mm -hmm. And then I'd go back about what I was doing, making my little spaghetti. Why did I need to do that? So that kind of stuff like really chips away at you. That was probably one that was a little bit more of a significant situation, but there's smaller little microaggressions that happen too, that it gets in there and it's that little voice that tells you you're not enough or that little voice that tells you like, how dare you try to claim this thing that you're not enough of, you don't have the rights to. And so there's this, I think the aspects of mental health that become important to pay attention to when you're already too old for like developmental shifts is turning that voice off, reminding yourself that it's fine. Whatever you are is fine. It's just what it is. You can't do anything about it. You just have to live with it, mm-hmm. whether it's learning to live with it or accepting yourself or whatever. You just have to do it. And hopefully that helps you get through your worst identity situations without deteriorating and adding to your depression, and anxiety for that situation. My anxiety was really high because I felt the need to be black enough for her acceptance. Right. Mm-hmm. The other thing is monoracial parents raising mixed race children and erasing the fact that those mixed race children are dealing with anything different than either of the parents experience. And so now I think mental health being a focus on how do you raise solid mixed race kids? I think this stuff needs to happen at a really young age. I think parents, interracial couples need to be in therapy and counseling so that they know how to identify their biases so that they're not putting that on their kids. So that by the time their kids are going through their identity crisis at 13, they at least know that race doesn't have to be one of their identity crisis. I mean, it can be, but hopefully they'll know that they can be comfortable in whatever their deal is. Because those conversations happen young on the playground yeah children are naming oh you're brown you're black i'm white it's you know it starts there and then as you grow up you start being able to fill out your own documents and Mm -hmm. being able to check a box you you wouldn't think that the smallest little thing of just filling out paperwork Mm -hmm. could create a roadblock or stress or anxiety in your day of like wait day yeah still to this day when i look at that thing i have to make decisions that are both political and internally good for my mental health. If you check a two or more box on a medical thing, 
that's important because they need to know what kind of things you might deal with. As a Black and Japanese person, there's things that I deal with on the Black side, potentially things that I deal with on the Japanese side, potentially, that can be informing my health, my actual physical health. But on a census, even though they have the mixed race category, you don't want to check that because that's going to default funds towards whiteness. It's designed that way. They didn't mean to when they tra- when they fought for it. But that's Wait, so explain the- that default okay, so, funds towards whiteness. So basically, the way people select their race on the census decides what the greater population of an area is, and therefore funds are distributed according to that. Okay. The problem is that a lot of mixed people and or immigrants that might have a unclear status of documentation okay. might check something that they're not or check something that they think is a safer bet because they're concerned about the political and or legal repercussions that can happen on them. So if they check white, like if they're a black, white, biracial person, if they check white, they're allowing whiteness to dominate that area. If they're an undocumented immigrant and they're afraid to be marked they may check white, which ends up taking funds away from Mm. Mexican communities. For Mm -hmm. a mixed race person, you don't count. Like that fucking sucks to say, because I'm a mixed person who is like, you're going to count me. But literally on the census, you do not count. So anything that doesn't count reverts to the dominant population. The dominant population is white. Boom. I'm in a part of West LA that is predominantly Asian. Well, it's a mix between white and Asian. In that case, I have the opportunity to check Asian so that funds are more heavily routed towards the Asian as the dominant population. Mm. But because I identify more as black, I might want to click black because I also want black people to get funds, you know, sent down. So it is a, it's that box means a lot of different things. Why can't I speak? A lot of different things to me, depending on what the Mm -hmm. circumstance, if I'm in a health situation, check all the boxes. Mm -hmm. If I'm in a political or potentially legal situation, check the most oppressed, because that's the thing that is going to help that community or help that area over time. But literally, if you are mixed, on a census and you check mixed, you have erased your account. Oh my goodness. I did ne- I have never heard that. I learned this from one of the people who actually fought to get the mixed box on the census, who has now realized what happened to the system and decided uh, she, she never checks it now. Um, and I've done some more research since then. And it was like, oh, they don't mess around. If you, if it's unclear or they can't figure it out, you become white. Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. Please don't okay. have a soundbite of me, Mixed Girl Maine, saying mixed people don't count on the sentence. No. Include <laughs> me. Please count me. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So because we're getting towards the end, let's play a little game before I let you go called In My Expert Opinion. So basically, I'm going to list off some topics and I want you to give your opinion, your hot take, your reaction to the matter. This could be this is good because or I disagree with this or this is bad. Please stop everyone like right now. Stop. Okay. (laughs) Number one, using food as a metaphor for race. So like the coconut, the banana, Oreo, apple, et cetera. I am so mixed on this topic. Oh, oh you're mixed on this topic. topic. Okay. My whole deal is mixed. I know. So I want to say 
please stop doing this, everybody, because it reduces us into like these stupid inhumane categories. And I don't often find white ways besides vanilla. I don't often find white ways in which food is used for them in a way that affects. But I think this plays into the exoticizing and eroticizing of brown and yellow bodies. If we're caramel, if we're chocolate, mm-hmm. you know, if we're mocha, it's oh, you, why are you gonna say it like that? Though? Well, because usually it's kind of sexual, right? It's like, like people are like my cinnamon queen and stuff like that, right? So like, there's aspects of it that are cute, right? Like, but put those same words in a white mouth. And now it becomes disenfranchising. So I want to say that mostly don't do this. Mm-hmm. That being said, I have a couple of friends that we refer to each other like that. And so it's one of those things of like, as long as the white people don't, you know, then it's okay. But flip it over to the Asian side and it gets way worse for me because you're either a jungle Asian, a banana, Southeast Asian, or you're... I don't really know what they use for, oh, I think lemon can be an option, but various things with yellow become an issue with Asianness that isn't an issue in blackness. I personally don't mind being yellow if I call myself that. So if I say I'm black and yellow or if I rock black and yellow because I'm repping for my people, mm-hmm. that doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. But put that in a white mouth and suddenly it feels gross. And it feels different, yeah. Yeah, so I think, um, yeah. I'm going to say... Please stop doing this. I'm also going to say that when the door is closed, if someone's a sexy caramel, they're a sexy caramel. (laughs) I feel terrible. (laughs) Okay, next. The term racially ambiguous. Is this problematic or not? I don't think it's problematic. And it's one that I'm comfortable in using because I think for me, that is the case. I think I am racially ambiguous and I think somebody wants to refer to me as a race and can't then I'm, that's the best way for them to say it without them really pissing me off. Because most of the time they're going to hit something like, you look like a, and then it'll be something terrible, like a Diet Coke black. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not black enough or whatever. Mm. Um, so I think if I allow for racially ambiguous, that removes the temptation from somebody to try to come up with their own thing. What you don't want to do is allow monoracial people from a dominant culture in your area to decide for you what to call you. Um, So yeah, I think I'm okay with it. I think a lot of us, or maybe not, it depends on how we look, but those of us who are in the ambiguity part of mixedness, we really struggle with like confidence and placement and stuff like that so if we name the problem is that we are ambiguous Mm -hmm. uh, I think it helps us deal with it's calling it what it is like I'm not rather than telling somebody I'm not enough of if I tell them I'm ambiguous it gives me a little bit more power back Mm -hmm. for me yeah okay next let's see what we got here using fractions to describe racial identity that's part of the journey but it's not where you end usually. <laughs> it's definitely part of the journey. I went for a very long time referring to myself as a quarter this, a quarter that, an eighth this, an eighth that. Uh-huh. Um, and the problem with that is that my ethnic fractions don't match my identity. Mm-hmm. I may be technically a quarter black, 
but I'm predominantly black because the way I was raised and the people that I grew up around. I'm technically half white. You couldn't plot me in anywhere in whitedom and I would feel comfortable. I would mm -hmm. always be aware of my brownness. So I think while it is a part of the early stages of you figuring out who you are and your identity percentages and fractions do start giving you a little bit of power in the beginning, but as you keep going, it starts to reduce your power depending on how you identify or who you identify with the most. And this is where like a DNA test or something like that might be also very damaging in that like if you're mixed with black, you might find out your black is really small because mm -hmm. rapists, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and slavers and stuff like that. And in those cases, I think it's just okay to be like, who did you grow up around? Where do you feel comfortable? That's bigger than your percentage. That's more important. Okay, so you might originally start using that, like, oh, I'm half and half or yeah. whatever. Right. But eventually you're saying you try to move away from that and just right. maybe talk about your what your mother is and what your father is. Yeah, I think where it, the way that you can get away from it where it doesn't cause any more pain but actually gives you a little bit of empowerment is when you come up with the name that represents what you are. Like me, mm -hmm. we've called ourselves Black and East since before Chris Tucker did it in Rush Hour. Also... Chinese people that are mixed with black wouldn't be black and they would be Blasian. Um, black mm -hmm. unnees, unnees, Japanese. Uh, we're the only one that has the unnees, so that's why it works okay. for me. It gives me a little bit of power. It gives okay. me a place to create my own category mm -hmm. that I have power in. And um, I agree because it's like there's a wholeness, there's a togetherness. There's a wholeness in it. It takes your pluses and puts it into one thing. And I love when I find out what people's hybrid terms are. Filipino, mm -hmm. bluish, knee blue, uh, Wajian, mm -hmm. like, whatever the thing is, like it actually does give people a sense of I'm this thing. So that if you meet somebody else that is also that thing, yay, we're this thing. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit more power in a hybrid term than referring to yourself as a percentage. Right. That being said, 100% part of the journey, go through that shit and work your way out of it. <laughs> okay. Well, similar to fractions, though, there's the term half breed. Oh, okay. I need everybody to stop this. <laughs> in my expert opinion, as a mixed yes. race podcaster, I need everybody to stop this abruptly. Why? Okay. Because it puts us in the same. It allows for the mentality of people that are stuck in the idea that chattel slavery was an okay thing. It puts us back there because literally they bred they partnered people together to create the best specimens that would do the best work in different places, like mm -hmm. the field or the thing, whatever, right? So they were literally breeding people, which is why that even after only 400 years, you have differences in the Black bodies in America than Black bodies in Africa, you know, because they actively put taller, bigger, stronger, faster twitch muscles together in one mm -hmm. people. And then they kind of stopped breeding the people that didn't fit those categories. Half breed is an extension of that. It puts us in an other. It just automatically others mm -hmm. us in a way that I don't think mix does. And mm -hmm. I know that some people feel a kind of way about mix. I don't. It gives me power. But breed tells me you don't think of me as human. Mm -hmm. um, any of those terms. Mulatto, I feel the same about that because it's about, it comes from mule. Mule is a hybrid of two animals and it can't right. reproduce. I know that there are people and I'm friends with people who have power in mulatto. I also know that in parts of South 
America, mulatto is the term. And so I'm not going to try to take that away from anybody because if that's the term, but that kind of word does the same thing to me, half breed, mm-hmm. mongrel, mulatto, anything that does that separates you from human. Okay. So no more half breed for all no of you out there. Do not use that term. It's yeah. definitely, yeah, it's a deficit perspective. It hurts. And I yeah. use it when I'm describing what happened to my family. So like mm-hmm. when the military tells my Japanese grandma, don't teach your children Japanese because it's already bad enough. They're half breeds. Mm-hmm. Direct quote. Right. Mm-hmm. Or at Beautiful. least if not direct quote, that was what they meant. But I won't use it to describe any of us. Okay, next. Gatekeepers to race identity. So this, for those who are listening, this could be someone who is monoracial, but essentially they're trying to protect their certain race identity. And they're basically telling people who is or who is not. Yes. Again, everybody needs to stop this right now. Because that puts us back into the idea that we're a monolith. And if you can't recognize the diversity across even monoracial groups or monocultural groups, you're missing a lot of stuff, right? So, oh gosh. And there's one that's happening in a group that I'm in right now that is that I'm not going to put on blast, but mm-hmm. it's a whole thing of how, who am I to be the person that decides for the rest of us what we are allowed to claim? Where I think that's okay is if it's in uplifting and empowering things. If I say, be your mixed ass self, and that means whatever your comfort level is with your mixedness is right. I'm not gatekeeping. I'm not telling you what you're allowed to identify. It. I'm telling you free yourself to identify that. that mm-hmm. That's open, right? If I'm saying you're not black unless you X, Y, Z, I'm deciding for the rest of us what gets to be black. And that's not okay. Who are you to decide that? Like, If we have a committee meeting that is large enough of the population that we all agree, I'll be down for that. But there's some things that I think you you run the risk of allowing for a lot of colorism in there. You run the risk of allowing for potentially sexism and ageism and ableism. There's all kinds of isms that can open up as a result of deciding for the population what it is. Mm -hmm. The other part is just why is it so important If a mixed person identifies a certain way, if a monoracial person is saying, we don't really like that, why is that important to that monoracial person to keep us from talking? Right. Actually, in Jesus. Yeah. I saw a thread today talking about Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka, the Mm -hmm. tennis players, and how basically that it's like, well, I want someone who's all black to win or to represent and, you know. Like it dilutes it in some way, shape, or form. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you what. With someone like Osaka, she has dealt with this in a big public way on all sides of her heritage. Japanese are very exclusive people, so they're not comfortable with her being the champion for them. And they'll say things, like not all of them, of course, but I've been on a thread about this where someone says, well, I don't think of her as Japanese anyway. She literally chose to represent Japan in her sport versus representing Haiti or America or anything like that. But someone decides that just because she's a little bit browner than the average Japanese that she doesn't get to be Japanese enough. And then on the flip side, you're going to put her up against a black queen like Serena and not go for Serena, then you must hate black people. Mm -hmm. That's not a thing either. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm seeing two athletes at the height of their skill and talent. And honestly, 
don't care which way that goes because they are both amazingly talented. One's kind of the past and one is the future, but they're both contemporary. It's important to get a chance to see that. I'm also super excited that I'm getting to see two brown ladies on the grand scale. In a historically white sport. Well, in a historically white sport. The fact that Serena will crip walk when she does good and she's from Compton, which is the neighboring neighborhood, neighboring city to where I grew up in. I'm all about that shit. The fact that there's also a black and ease out there, which represents me. I'm all about that. So I'm winning no matter what. Yeah, that's how I would see it. <laughs> winning on either side. But yeah. then there's this that intra-racism, right? Or yeah. these gatekeepers of like, yeah. oh, you're not enough of this or enough of that. If you feel like you have to settle for the win of like, all right, fine, the half one, you know, one. Yeah. Yay, it's still brown. I don't know what to do about that for a person. Like, yeah. that's going to be your thing. Fine, go ahead and be that. But that's not okay, just so you know, type of thing. But for me, and I don't mean this in an anti-white way. I mean this in a pro-people in general way. The more times I get to see multiple brown people doing something that is when my TV screens and my magazines and my movie screens and all this stuff has been filled with multiple white people always doing stuff together, that's how I'm going to start feeling some normalcy. Mm -hmm. I don't care if the entire U.S. Open was all black, yellow, and brown people and not a stitch of white people because that is what my world looked like growing up. You know what I'm saying? So like we see all this whiteness on TV and we see all this stuff and we think that's real but then you walk outside of your own neighborhood and that might not be how it is for you. I didn't see white people regularly when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And when I saw them, it was a shock. It was like, oh my God, I was one in the neighborhood. <laughs> that was my reality. So right. TV didn't connect. It didn't make sense to me. TV didn't reflect yeah. my reality. So yeah, people need to just not. And be excited that you're looking at two brown people on mm-hmm. a stage, on a grand global stage at the same time both being excellent. Right. Okay. Amen. Last one. <laughs> Our new Madam Vice President, mm-hmm. Kamala Harris. She is Black and she is South, South Asian. Asian. But there seems to be some identity erasure going on or people only wanting to talk about one side. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? I'm also mixed on this because I get it. You know, I, I get that that's going to be it. I would be equally excited to see South Asians claim her as much as black people claim her. And I would accept both of those things happening. But I think we're going with Kamala that what we're dealing with mostly is who she identifies with the most. I do think she probably similarly to me is she's black in the world and Asian at home mm-hmm. or Asian at a particular side of her family's home, because I was Japanese when I got to go to my grandma's house, but I was black all the other times. Mm-hmm. So I think people need to accept her as a mixed race woman because that is what she is. And the fact that she represents and talks about both of her sides, I think, is something we should pay attention to. Again, allowing us to decide for us what our identity is. That being said, she reps blackness in a way that is a little bit more obvious and a little bit stronger than the way she reps for her South Asian-ness. Mm-hmm. You know, she was a member of a sorority. She went to Howard. She where's chucks she's from oakland like trust that she understands what her black identity is even though her family is her father is from jamaica she grew up in the u.s and so her blackness is going to be determined by the dominant black culture around her Mm -hmm. um 
you know, if she rocks a sari, I need people to shut the fuck up and let her rock the damn sari. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't care. I don't care if she rocks a sari with Chucks. Leave her the fuck alone. Yeah. That is what she is, you know. And that's the unfortunate thing is you do see rhetoric that leans in either direction of either like, oh, this is great. We have our first black vice president or we have our first Southeast Asian vice president. But then you also kind of like, well, she ain't she ain't all black. Yeah. You kind of get that, too. Or I felt like, this well, way about Obama as well. Yeah. And whether it's that's Obama true, that's a good point. Harris, I'll say two different things. With Obama, my problem was that he literally was a biracial African-American. I am not an African-American. I am a Black American. The Mm -hmm. difference is I didn't have a gateway or a bridge to Africa. I don't know how long my arm is back home. I don't. Mm -hmm. I know where my family descends from, but that's all I know. I know that we're from Gabon. That's all that I know. I don't know when my last relative stepped foot on that land. So I am Black. Obama was African-American. He also was not raised black. He was raised by a white family in Hawaii and in Indonesia. So he does not represent blackness for me, even though he looks black, white, biracial. Mm -hmm. He is a biracial African-American. The only person that literally for me deserves African-American as a title because he had an African father and an American mother. Right. So when he would code switch into his Southern drawl thing, That is so inauthentic to me because Mm -hmm. he didn't have access to American blackness until he was in college. That is when it started Mm -hmm. to happen for him. So it feels really inauthentic for him. Does it make me dislike him? No, I got good things about him and I got bad things about him like I do with any person. Mm -hmm. If it's Obama, Bush, Clinton, it's Harris. (laughs) We always do this. We say Hillary instead of Clinton. We say Kamala instead of Harris. We need to, if it's, if it's last names, it's last names. Okay. I need to start doing this. So yeah, with Obama, because I would never think to call him a Brock. With Obama, that was the feelings that I had for Obama. With Harris, she is from Oakland, which is a blackity black city. It's very similar to the city that I grew up in, Long mm-hmm. Beach. She grew up in a predominantly black space. And even though her family's Jamaican, her identity would be closer to black American. So she might incorporate her South Asian heritage in a lot of her things the same way that I do my Japanese stuff. But her dominant culture, her dominant heritage is black, which is why I think it is okay for us to accept her in that way. At the same time, continuing to acknowledge that she's a biracial, like an Asian woman. And so for me, if South Asians want to say she's South Asian, dope. Black people want to say she's black, dope. People want to say she's mixed, double dope, because that's more accurate. But I don't think we should try to make her feel bad or put her in a box of like, you need to, I mean, imagine us having to rip both sides at all time or all Uh, sides at all times. Your head was spent. You code switch throughout the day. So yeah. I might wake up black, but I'll eat lunch Japanese and I'll drink tea British and then I'll mm-hmm. go back to being black. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's okay to give each community the opportunity to claim her as long mm-hmm. as they don't say, I don't see her as mm-hmm. whatever the opposite side is. Right. Because like, both. yeah, acknowledge Oliver. Yeah. That's all we want. That's all we want. We just want to be seen for what we are. It. It's all That's here. it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, can do you have any resources that you want to share? Books, music articles, anything that yes. you think listeners who are mixed race or who maybe want to learn more about mixed race identity, where they can go? Absolutely. We talked a little bit about mental health. So I, and I talk about like and the reports of raising 
mixed race kids. As a resource for that, there is Dr. Jen Noble, who is, I think her website is drjenpsych.com. She has a program for teens right now, for mixed race teens, where she's, you know, assisting mixed race teens with their identity. She also has, I believe she does some work with interracial families and, and stuff like that in terms of how to guard the mental health of your mixed race teens. There's also a life coach, Sarah Lotus, who has a program called the Mixed Blown Room, where she has two programs. One's for interracial families raising mixed race kids. And she also has a mixed race confidence thing, which is about an eight to 10 week program that you go through where you work both with her solo and with a cohort to to deal with whatever identity things you might have going on. I did participate in that program. I piloted her um, mixed race confidence thing. And let me tell you messed me up because I did not realize I was dealing with a particular problem that I was addressing Ah. in that group. And when it came to light, I basically like I had to go through it. I had to really right. suffer for a few weeks while I worked my way through it. And like, hold on a second. I thought I was helping you out. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> exactly those feelings. But my cohort also had some things that were aligning with my issue. And so we were really like supporting and helping each other mm. through it. So that is also a good program. And then in terms of books, I say both, a, I'll say a memoir and a, no- a novel. Um, Teresa Stovall's memoir, Swirl Girl, Coming of Race in the USA is a memoir about her growing up from the civil rights era to now and dealing with what it was like to be Black, but mixed, and now mixed, but Black. So that is an important one. You can go to TeresaStowell.com to get that book. And then a novel. The reason why I'm saying a novel is because we also need fiction in our lives too. And there's a book called Mostly White, written by Alison Hart, which is about four generations of mixed-race women, Black, Indigenous, and Irish heritage. Um, Uh It's a fictionalization of what she believes her family history to be based off of what research she could do. She's filling in gaps fictionally with what she has been able to find. And let me tell you, that was the very first time I got to read a book where I knew mixedness was a center of the story. So I knew going in, I wasn't just surprised, like, oh, random mixed race character. Right, the yeah. whole thing was about that. And it was a real emotional experience getting a chance to just get to like, oh shit, that's, I have this like this there's a character in a book that that yes exactly like we need that kind of representation too so a fictional book a memoir the life coaching situation and the mental health resources those are the four things that i think um well amazing thank you i'll be sure to put those in the show notes and people can have access to that but tell the listeners where they can find you all about you self-plug so that all right. Works. How much time you got? No, um, <laughs> Militantly makes a podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. We're on all of the podcatchers, Stitcher, iTunes, Google, everything. Um, you can also follow me on all of the socials at Militantly Mixed. I have the handle across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My other shows, Blurred Comics, is a, um, a comic book and nerd perspective from a mixed black blurs and then also by furious because i'm an angry bisexual and <laughs> it's on hiatus on, at the moment but it is going to come back but we did have a couple of really good episodes before i went on hiatus and you can one. also purchase comic books and graphic novels from my Ooh. comic book store gulf coast cosmos wow. com, where we what doesn't she do i do all <laughs> kinds of shit but uh, but yeah you can do that you can go there for comics or graphic novels we are black owned we're asian owned we're queer owned and we're going to be based in houston texas but at the moment we're just online until the rona lets us go outside to play 
And then if you want to buy cloth mask, you can go to masksbymain.com, enter the promo code FIRST100 and get 10% off on any cloth masks. Look at that. And giving deals. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you've given so much wisdom today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. And hopefully we can do this again soon. Yeah, you can come on my show next. Yeah, that'd be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you problem whoa y'all that was fire (laughs) wait do people say fire anymore hashtag millennial hashtag side part for life okay 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 here are my three quick takeaways for the audience for this week number one words hit differently depending on whose mouth they come out of choose your words carefully and appropriately based on your own cultural and ethnic identity Not everyone can get away with saying the same things. Acknowledge it, respect it, embrace it. With that being said, it brings me to my number two takeaway for this week. Eliminate deficit language from your vocabulary. Words like half-breed, food metaphors, tragic mulatto, not okay. In fact, they're dehumanizing and they perpetuate a deficit perspective about mixed-race people and their existence. A half-breed is referring to an animal food metaphor is talking about food. Number three, and this one is for all the racial gatekeepers out there. Again, when you are, in your mind, attempting to protect or be selective of who has membership to a certain ethnic identity, what you're really doing is narrowing the margins for what that identity entails. This also promotes damaging narratives and hurtful stereotypes. Everyone is not the same. It goes back to this level of enoughness. We are not a monolith. No, we have many identities. And while we may experience significant overlap with others of similar backgrounds, we still present them uniquely, no matter what. This is a strength, not a weakness. For more information and resources on the subject matter, look at the show notes for today's episode. Please share your own resources in the comments. And if you haven't done so already, please go like and subscribe to the podcast to stay in the know and help grow our willing to learn community. The call to action this week is a free choice. Say what? Yes, a free choice means you get to choose. Go check out one of the resources to learn more about the mixed race experience. Don't be afraid to bring it up in conversation with someone you know and share what you learn. Also, post about it. That's right. Use the hashtag willing to learn podcast and tag our IG handle so I can follow all your good work out there. Hey, we're not here to be stingy intellectuals. No, 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 no. Let's assume a collective responsibility and share the knowledge with others. This, too, is a way to help change the world. And remember, when we learn more, we do more and can be more for ourselves and others. See you guys 